0: Bandwidth for This Week in Photography is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Photography is brought to you by Drobo. Find out how you can get your own Drobo at D-R-O-B-O dot com slash twip. Another edition of This Week in Photography, Scott Bourne, your host here, and you didn't hear a hey everybody, so that means my little buddy Alex B. Lindsay is not here today, but we expect to have him back all the way from Japan next week. Until then, we have a, a, a very talented crew, let's just put it like that. Uh, joining me today, of course, regular and from Seattle today, Ron Brinkman. How you doing, Ron? Hey, how you doing? Uh, sitting in today, we don't get to hear his voice often, but he really is behind the scenes on every single show. He's our producer, Aaron Mailer. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Hello, hello. And our special guest, which we'll introduce in a little while, is Greg Downing, a fantastic nature photographer. Before we go anywhere or do anything, I do want to mention that, as usual, you can win a prize just because you're hanging out with us here at TWiP. We're giving away stuff all the time, and we have a link contest going on right now. You have a opportunity to win a free one-year premium subscription to lynda.com, which, by the way, that costs 375 bucks, And uh, three of my books, the 88 Secrets Series, all you have to do to be eligible to win is to link to twipphoto.com. And you can do that from your blog or your website. If you don't have a blog, you can get a free one from Google, so that's no excuse. You do need to be at least 18 years of age and a U.S. citizen. Sorry, that's what the lawyers make me say. Also want to mention that we have our ongoing photo contest here at TWiP, which we'll get to in a bit. One more contest to plug. The Aperture Nature Photography Contest is down to 12 days for the second of four offerings. You have a chance to win $3,500 worth of prizes there and a trip to Yosemite National Park. So don't miss that one. Let's get into the photography news. Life Photo Archive is now being hosted by Google. What do you know about this, Aaron?
1: Oh, from what I gather, I'm um, hearing numbers, something like 10 million images, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Bond may lo- know a little more about it as well, but uh, apparently the images stretch back, according to Google, as far back as the 1750s. Um, the categories wow. that you see on the page start in the 1800s. But it's a beautifully categorized set of historic images spanning, uh, you know, well over 100 years, for sure, uh, in partnership with uh, with Time or Time Life's, uh,
2: you know, massive photo archives.
0: That's pretty cool. Uh, this is pretty cool. It is. Have you looked at it, Ron?
2: Yeah, I poked around a little bit. It's one of those things where you you, know, you, you say, all right, what, what historical figure can I think of from back then and see if there's pictures of them? So it's kind of fun.
1: We'll put it in the show notes, too, but there's, uh, there's actually a search phrase you can use on Google. It's source colon life and then followed by the subject matter, and it will restrict your, uh, your image search into that pool of images.
0: Cool. Also in the news this week, it is Photo Week in Washington, D.C. If you're not familiar with Photo Week, it is a really interesting festival of photography. It takes place November 15th through 22nd, every other year, I think. Now, one of these is every year, and one of these is every other year. I can't remember if this is the one, but it's, it's essentially a giant portfolio review and museum walk and, and photo walks, and it, it, it's just really all things photography here in the D.C. area you want to check it out um i've I've been to it a couple of times and i gotta say it's always uplifting i did my first portfolio review at one of these things and boy did i get slammed (laughs) (laughs) but you learned a lot i did i I learned that that was where i learned that mantra look at ten thousand images before you make another photograph and i took that to heart yeah Also, want to talk about the United States Army manipulating a general's photo. I can't believe this took place. Not the Army, not them. (laughs) The Associated Press on Friday suspended (laughs) the use of photos provided by the Defense Department after the Army distributed a digitally altered photo of the U.S. military's first female four star general. In the original photo, the general appears to be sitting at a desk with the credenza and bookshelf behind her. Three stars on her uniform identify her as a lieutenant general. Her rank before Friday's promotion. The the altered photo distributed by the Army and run on AP's photo wire Thursday shows Dunwoody in fatigues in front of an American flag. Her rank affixed to the front of a soldier's tunic is not visible. In September, the AP banned use of a photo of Army Staff Sergeant Daris Dawson who was killed in Iraq Dawson's face and shoulders appeared to have been digitally altered so in other words uh, when the Army says look it's real here's a picture we can go uh uh-huh.
2: <laughs> I actually don't think it's quite as as sinister as the, the article no, might make I, I, I mean, I,
0: you know I know, but it's just it would, not, yeah. It's too bad Steve Simon isn't here because I, I'll I'll tell you the photojournalism people they go nuts over this stuff. They really do. Oh well,
2: yeah. I, and I don't. I mean, I think the the AP is doing exactly the right thing, saying that you know we have a policy of not showing altered photos, and you know I think it's more a matter of the Army. You know, the, some of the circumstances are they're releasing a publicity photo, they want to touch it up, they're not presenting this as news per se. I think it's more a matter of it's just a communication issue. People need to be very clear, and the Army should be just flag this as you know it's a pretty up publicity photo, not a, a representation of some actual act sort of thing.
0: Yeah. Well, let's move on. Nikon releases a firmware update for the Speedlight SB900. That was quick. Firmware version 5.02 corrects a bug that could lead to overexposure and makes a minor change to the unit's TTL auto flash behavior. You do have to have the SB900 connected to a D3, D300, D700, or D90 to do the firmware update. Now, that's kind of different, Aaron.
1: That's definitely different. Actually, none of my Flashes I've used ever had firmware I had to update, so I hadn't even considered the fact it would have to be on the body like that to to communicate for an update.
0: Yeah, somewhere wandering around is a guy named Ernie who bought a Vivitar Flash in 1956, wondering if he can upgrade it. (laughs) 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 Sorry, Ernie. The answer is a big no. Uh, Canon releases digital camera software updates. Now, what in the world would have caused them to do this, Ron? (laughs)
2: <laughs> Wouldn't have anything to do
0: with the Five D Mark II, would it?
2: Uh, it just might. Yeah, yeah they've, you know, they they've updated like they pretty much everything. The whole, yeah, their whole line of style. You know, I don't even—I I didn't even realize that they had this many different discrete software products out there. It's
0: you quite know, a I mean, slew
1: can,
2: of little apps. You know.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I got. I'm going to wager that very few of the Canon people use them, but they're there.
1: The only one I use out of that whole set is the EOS utility, which I use for doing tethered shooting sometimes. Beyond that, I I don't even touch the other pieces of it. Yeah, I don't even know what some of those are. What's the uh, WFT utility? I think that may be the wireless uh, transfer utility. Now,
0: Now, if it was the the WTF utility, we'd know what that was.
2: That's what I was thinking. (laughs)
1: WTF has a WFT utility.
0: Well, that's it for the news. If you have news that you'd like us to use, please send us an email at twipphoto at gmail.com. We can't guarantee we'll get to all the news that you send us, but we will try. Time for the Twip site of the week. And this one's kind of cool. It's dxomark.com. Now, for all you pixel peepers and measure beaters out there, you're going to want to spend days on this side. I mean, maybe weeks, because you can just get down to all the kind of pixel peep and minutiae that you folks really like, and uh, I'm kind of making fun here. I do think it's useful, but I do want to caution that these kinds of things can be, you know, overrated. But I was very surprised to see which camera's rated highest and which camera's rated lowest, and I was really surprised to see my brand-new D90 show up in sixth place above some very expensive cameras that are below it
2: yeah it's uh it's going to be controversial would you know with anything like this you know they they've made some arbitrary decisions for what's considered important right. um, but they're reasonable decisions from what I can tell and but the nature of the numbers that they're pushing together you know it Anytime you're trying to measure a camera's sensor, there are many, many different factors that contribute to it. So trying to boil this all down to a single number, which is what they're doing, is very arbitrary. But for whatever reason, the way they kind of boil these numbers down, it it certainly seems like uh, it favors the types of sensors that uh, Nikon's putting out because they they tend to show up at the top of the list.
0: Well, there is a Canon in the top five, but um, yeah, the, the Nikon dominates the, the list, but that's probably because of the low noise level, I'm going to guess. Uh, did yeah, you look I at this at it. all, Aaron?
1: I sure did, and uh, I, I gather it's also a creation of the DxO Labs guys, which uh, make the DxO Optics software, so right. it does seem like a pretty trusted source anyway as far as uh, analyzing you know image quality to the nth degree.
0: So here's my prediction on how people will react to this. You guys tell me what you think. Those who own cameras at the top of the list will say that, that this is a write on website. And those that own cameras at the bottom of the list will say these guys don't know what they're talking about.
1: Yeah, They'll start yeah, arguing. Yeah.
0: Artists of science very,
2: here. Very safe predictions, guys.
0: Okay. Let's move on to our photo assignment current poll. We're in week three of a four week photo assignment, i.e., contest for the rest of you. Uh, and we're going to use uh, straight lines. Yes, I know, all lines are straight. It's Straight lines is the theme, and as usual, we won't give you any other advice. You need to go out and shoot something that involves straight lines. Now, you can provide us with a photo that you didn't shoot specifically for this assignment, like years ago, even, if you want. But when it gets down to a tie, we're going to give the win to the person who shot this week. And the winner is going to get a big prize. It's going to be Photoshop CS4 from Adobe. And it's a real live shrink-wrapped version in a box. It's not bootleg. So that's going to the winner. You've got, uh, what, nine days left, something like that. So uh, get your image up into our Flickr group. You can find out how to join that group simply by going to it from the Twip Photo blog. And there are help files on every single page. Imagine that, a Flickr. So if you need help, go there first. Uh, Our poll, uh, have you ever purchased another photographer's work? Yes, for commercial reasons, I guess meaning that the boss said so, 8%. 41.1% said yes for myself. 50.8% said no. So roughly half have and half haven't. And I don't know about you guys, but I always think when another photographer buys my work, I think that's sort of like the ultimate compliment. What do you think, Ron?
2: Yeah, that's, that's uh, nobody's ever bought my work. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, they have. They just bought it as part of the movie that they got involved with, right?
2: Yeah, or the book, that's true. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of my photography in my book, I suppose. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, our new poll, uh, which will go up on the site, actually, before you hear this show, is... For you, is photography a stress relief, a stress inducer? More stress relief than inducer, more stress inducer than relief. Now, that was submitted <laughs> to us by one of our users, and I'm already stressed thinking about how to say that. But um, that, that's going to be the new poll. We'll see how that works. If you have poll suggestions... Or anything else you want to say to us, twipphoto at gmail.com, twipphoto at gmail.com, that is your email address. On today's show, we do have a very special guest, he's a friend of mine, his name is Greg Downing, and he is a very, very accomplished nature photographer, and Greg, we'd like to welcome
3: you to This Week in Photography. Thank you, Scott. Greetings from Maryland.
0: Yeah, all the way on, on on the side of the world that Aaron hangs out on. You guys aren't that far apart, are you, Aaron?
1: I didn't realize you were in Maryland, and you're on the East Coast, so we're not more than a few hours apart.
0: Yeah. Right. So we're spanning the continent. <laughs> too bad Modern technology. Too bad I can't say spanning the globe. I used to like that in the ABC Wide World of Sports. You know? Anyway, Greg, you have a background as a nature photographer, and I happen to know that, you know, your emphasis is on wildlife and birds. Why don't you just uh, tell us very briefly about yourself, how you got started in photography?
3: Well, actually, uh, it's it's good thing you mentioned birds, because that's actually what got me into photography was birds. Uh, in my early 20s, I, I was uh, dating someone who was very into bird watching, and, and uh, as a good boyfriend, I... Uh, got into it with her and, and found that I really enjoyed it and, um, got, got really, uh, as I, anything that I do in my life, I, I kind of got compulsive about it and, and, you know, went out and bought the best binoculars and, and, uh, the best bird watching, uh, attire and, and, uh, I really just went out all over the place and, and, uh, studying birds. And then it suddenly occurred to me one day that, that, uh, rather than looking at them through binoculars I'd like to start taking pictures so um uh, picked up some some books and and I had had a camera since I was a kid but but never had a big lens so went out and got a big lens and uh uh that was the end of that that was uh in uh, the mid 90s and um just sort of uh so I had my own business, I was able to travel and and uh went out with some some other professionals and learned from them and and just really got into it. So now
0: when did you decide that you knew that, that this was something you wanted to move towards more of, uh, as a career?
3: Uh I guess about a dozen years ago um in the late 90s uh that I, I basically decided that I like to travel and I like to go uh, around the world and, and photograph birds and other wildlife and nature in general and saw that other people were doing workshops and things like that. And And I've always been sort of a good teacher. I've always been uh, an entrepreneur as well. I started my own business in my teens. Uh, so I say I've been self-employed my entire adult life or unemployed, however you want to look at it. <laughs> Um, And basically, uh, that's what I started doing. I started selling my work. Um, I started uh, basically posting a lot of things online, which has become very popular in the last few years. I did it sort of early on before it really became popular. And uh, people got to know me and know my work. And um, then I sort of – I just – basically decided i was going to start a tour business i started doing some things on the east coast cape may new jersey was one of my hangouts which is a big birding mecca um and then sort of expanded around the country and and around the world from there and
0: uh now right now is your photography still primarily focused on birds or have you expanded to general wildlife and nature more or or where are you at on that
3: um, it is primarily focused around birds but uh, for instance i do trips to africa and and nobody can go to africa without focusing on general wildlife and and uh, and landscapes and things like that so uh, uh, i'm definitely trying to expand my horizons too um, so you know it is still around birds primarily but but I'll, I'll photograph anything that moves. <laughs> <laughs> now, how,
0: how many times have you been to Africa, Greg?
3: Uh, I've been to Africa three times. I'm going back um, this next year in February and taking a group there. Um, so Africa is a, th- a theme
0: on this show, you know.
3: It is yeah. Well, we had, Andy Big- a- we had Andy Biggs on a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, Andy's a good friend of mine.
0: And and of course Alex spends a lot of time in Africa because he's got business interests there. So, you know, you can almost say that that Africa is a second destination for Twip.
3: Well, Africa's definitely awesome if you're into nature photography. I, I can't think of another place in the world that uh uh, you know, would be ideal to go to so well, and that's uh, and
0: you just lead into my next question and this is going to be a hard one because i know you travel a lot and i know you've gotten to see a lot of beautiful places you mentioned cape may those of us who do bird photography you know know that place and uh, the, you, you get to go all over what you know i'm going to put you on the spot what are your top three locations for photography whatever it is you're going to shoot there
3: that's actually a much easier question than, and, than you would think because I've been asked that a lot. Oh, okay. And uh so I've been able to give it some thought. I would say um Antarctica is one. Uh Antarctica and that whole sort of Shackleton uh uh circuit there with South Georgia and, and uh even the Falklands and, and uh down into the Antarctic peninsula is just amazing. It's I think only 200,000 people on the entire planet have ever been there, uh, if I have that statistic right. So it's a very special place, and it's just words or pictures can't describe it or or capture it. You have to be there. Um, So the second place would be Africa, I think, Um, and it's sort of a toss-up between those two as far as the top place, uh, with Antarctica maybe – Uh, squeezing out on as number one Um, and then the third place is actually in North America uh, in New Mexico Um, and I think you're going there this weekend and (laughs) we're gonna see each other there and that's uh, Bosque del Apache uh, National Wildlife Refuge yeah that's Um, that's gotta be one of my favorites too
0: I'm glad you're going and I'm glad you brought that into the into the discussion because I want to turn the discussion that way that is probably my favorite place in general to photograph uh, not only is it a great place for birds, but the scenery around there ain't bad either. And, and if you're into things like, um, you know, the, the Indian petroglyphs aren't far away, and you got white sands, you got the very large array telescope, there's a lot of things to photograph in central New Mexico. And uh, you lead workshops there, as do I, and you've, you've, you've done a lot of stuff there. I want to mention that uh, you've got something going on there uh, in a couple of weeks, and there's still time for people to get in on it. Why don't you tell us about that?
3: Well, yeah, it's exciting. Um, our website, uh, uh, I'm the publisher of an online magazine, sort of uh, a social networking website for nature photographers called naturescapes.net. And um, we're doing an event at Bosque del Apache. We're actually renting out the Performing Arts Center at uh, New Mexico Tech in Socorro. Uh, which is the closest town to uh, the refuge, um, and we're having we're going to be having speakers such as Rick Salmon and myself and EJ Piker, who is our senior technical editor on our website, uh, extremely knowledgeable photographer and and uh, sort of our our tech guru. Ask him any question. He he's an Intel executive. He's got a background in in engineering and and. Uh, very technically knowledgeable, and then we have Royce Howland, which is uh, also an, an editor for our site, who uh, is going to be doing some workshops on um, hDR uh, processing and and uh, so we 've got a whole bunch of different things going on at this event that starts November, uh, December fifth uh, through the seventh, so it 's a weekend thing and uh, we're going to be giving away door prizes and things like that, and doing field trips and classroom stuff and uh, and it 's a great way to to meet other photographers and and to get acquainted with the refuge and and experience all that that area has to offer
0: yeah i'm looking forward to it i 've actually changed my travel so i 'm sticking around a couple of days just to see that i'm excited about it. And uh, uh, anybody who wants to come hang out, I'm gonna be there. We'll have a you know place for twippers to get together if anybody wants to come down. Now, naturescapes.net was the last thing I was gonna talk about. That, that is an excellent online community, uh, one that I highly recommend to, um, pe- particularly people that are just getting involved in nature photography, because there's so much information there, Greg. You guys have been publishing that for a long time. When did you start?
3: We started in August of two thousand three, so we're we're into our sixth year now, and we've learned a lot in that time and we have um, really uh, come to gather a lot of a lot of supporters and followers and um, actually, I was looking at some statistics yesterday uh, and we have about uh, one and a half million uh, page views every month and uh, the interesting to note is thing to note is that eighty percent of the people that visit the site uh, visit it every day. Wow! Which is very uh, uh, Google Analytics calls that. Uh, um, oh, I forget what they call it, but but good. Um, they call yeah, that good. <laughs> they go. They call that good. <laughs> yeah. So we have a lot of loyal visitors, and and uh, once people get hooked onto it, they they get hooked, and. Uh, it's just great. I mean, the forums is really where the action is. Um, right. There's a ton know, of it,
0: information there you can learn, and its is it still free?
3: It is free to register and to participate in the forums. Uh, we do have a paid membership where you get some additional benefits. You get a, uh, your own portfolio of images, which is marketed to photo buyers, and and uh, you can upload your images directly to our site. But uh, everything is pretty much free. Um other, other than that, so so you can come. Yeah.
0: You can come into that site at naturescapes.net, and right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put you on the spot here. If some of our TWIP listeners want to come to your seminar down there at Bosque de Apache, will you give them a little, little push, little help?
3: Oh yeah, well actually, if you mentioned TWIP. Um you can come for half price. Wow! And it's only $199 to begin with. Uh, so you know you can you can come for half price. It's it's getting a little down to the wire now. So you have to make a quick decision because it's only a couple weeks away. But yeah, yeah. We'll put a link. We'll,
0: have... we'll put a link to your site in what we call our show notes, Greg, which will help people. And we don't know at this late date if people can get down there. But if they can, I'll tell you. I just got a report back from the reserve this morning. And uh, some people that I trust said that it's the best shooting there in ten years.
3: That's incredible. And and there's there's a seven year um, uh, sort of rotation there with with how they they treat the place. Um, if you're familiar with the main uh, pool there at the with the flight deck, right. where the flight deck looks over. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, they plow that under every seven years. So I think the first time I went was about eight years ago, and it was pretty, pretty incredible. And then it sort of went downhill from there. Yeah, with, with, with e- too much vegetation growing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So apparently they've plowed it under this year and then filled it in. So it's nice. It's a nice pool of water now. So that's going to be uh, great for all the the tens of thousands of geese that come in every morning and do the fly-ins. Uh, they'll have a nice clean area to to roost and. Into stage, um, and it makes and for nicer just... backgrounds
0: too. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And they've opened yeah. up the crane pools, and they've they've cut a lot of shooting right. lanes. So, if you're interested in going down there, I mean, I, I mean Stevie Wonder could make good photographs here, folks. I mean, it, it is <laughs> <laughs> it is that it's the, it's the place to go if you want to. It's probably one of the few places I can think of, other than what you just mentioned, African Antarctica, where you can literally build a portfolio in a few days.
3: Yeah, it has it offers everything from birds to wildlife. There's there's coyotes there and, and mule deer and, and and like you said before, the the scenery is incredible. So you can do landscape photos and it's just you know, it's wonderful. Get
0: the Sacramento Mountains in the background. It's 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 yeah. it's an amazing place and it's cheap. It's a cheap place to go. There's a mo- yeah. there's a Motel Six in town that'll get you a room for thirty two bucks. And I hate to say it, but Motel Six is kinda top of the line there in Socorro. So, well, they
3: have a new—they have a new uh, hotel now. I was going to mention to uh, to you earlier. They have a, a Holiday Inn Express, which is, oh, okay. is it's actually pretty swank looking. So we're we're staying there for the event, and uh, well, that's that's you know, that's the high that's high rolling there in Scora. That is high rolling, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh, and the, where you're having the event is on the college campus. Did you know that's the oldest college west of the Mississippi in the United States?
3: No, I didn't know that. It That's is.
0: interesting. another tidbit about Socorro, it has the highest per capita PhD residency of any city in America.
3: Now I wouldn't have thought that. Well you know why? It's
0: because of the very large array
3: telescope. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So
2: yeah, have you guys been have you been out to, to, to see that the VLA?
3: I have. I have as well. Yeah. Uh when I when I went yeah. out there, they were all spread out as far as they you know, they move them depending on what they're trying to do. Yeah. When yeah, I was there, it's like railroad track yeah exactly it was really interesting to see. Have you been uh,
2: there Ron? yeah i i I worked on the movie contact with oh, you did? Foster yeah. a while back yeah and, and so we shot out there and um very fun yeah I've, you know I've flown over it on the helicopter getting shots and um and just hung out there so it's it's very cool yeah if anybody's down in that area it's definitely worth taking a drive out and just seeing it because it's pretty impressive
0: and, and it's oh, further yeah. than you think oh yeah it is yeah. i, 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 I
2: just, <laughs> I just remember waking up at O Dark Hundred and getting in a van with the rest of the crew and not sure if I slept part of the way, but eventually we made it out there before sunset. So it was.
3: Thank you. Nice you, think
0: you're, you keep saying to yourself, "I must have missed it. You just haven't yeah. gone far enough. It's it's out there."
3: <laughs> well, yeah. There's the the thing is, there's that sign there in Sakura Sakura that. This says, very large array, this way. Yeah. And you get on that road, and you think, oh, well, I'm going to go, you know, and three hours later, you arrive. <laughs>
0: <will> <laughs> it's
3: not quite three hours, but it's a way. No, it's not quite. It's exaggerated yeah. just a little bit. Yeah, I think it's, a, what is it, about an hour?
0: Something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's about. I think that's about right. Yeah.
2: Like I said, I was in a van full of hungover, sleepy people.
0: But, you know, a great, a great trip is to hit that. Hit the reserve, then then spend the night at Alamogordo and get up early and give the young guy that guards the gate at uh, White Sands 50 bucks to open it early and go out there and get a couple of sunrise shots at, at White Sands and then head on over for the afternoon at the Three Rivers Indian Petroglyph site. You know, you got three, three days of shooting there that'll build your portfolio of 100 stunning images
1: it's a pretty dynamic series of subjects too it is
0: well I highly recommend uh, you know visiting Bosque and, and the time of year that we're we're talking about here first week of December last week of thanks you know towards Thanksgiving that's the, the prime time I've been going to Bosque for 17 years that's the prime time to get in there and with the best shooting of all and now Greg's got this great seminar there's lots of reasons to go so if you want to visit Greg's seminar head over to naturescapes.net and we'll give you a link to that. And check out Greg's other workshops. I know that you're, you said you're going to Africa. What, what else have you got on uh, tap for uh, workshops, Greg?
3: Well, if you visit my website, my personal website, gregdowningphoto or gregdowningphotography.com, however you want to type it in, um, I'm going to Africa next year. I'm doing Costa Rica, which is sold out. Uh, I'll be doing some things in the States, Florida, of course, um, New Mexico again. I go to Ecuador for hummingbirds, where, where are you going? And, in, where are you going in Costa Rica? Uh, I'm going to actually just basically in the cloud forest doing hummingbirds and, um, right, right. Um, you know, Ecuador is a similar thing. And uh, then next year I'm doing something new that I haven't done before. I'm going to uh, Kamloops uh, in British Columbia to do loons. Oh and, man uh, s- staying at uh, La la June uh, resort, which is a friend of mine uh, Derek McDonald owns, and he's going to be taking myself and five other photographers. We have two back to back five day trips where we're going to be photographing loons with chicks and oh, quit it. With you're chicks killing me. And all you're, kinds of stuff you're there. killing me and we'll right? have we'll have you know the whole private thing set up with with a pontoon boat <laughs> oh, and you know, get right up to them. So that's exciting. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, that will be in, in late June, early July.
0: So. I can't wait to see what those pictures look like. Well, Greg, appreciate
3: you coming on our
0: show, and um, you know keep us uh, keep us abreast of what you're doing.
3: I will. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. That's Greg Downing, and I'll, and, uh, you can, and I'll see you next week. Yeah, I look
0: forward to it. That's Greg Downing. You can find his website at naturescape.net in the show notes. Uh, check him out. He's a good guy. All right, time to mention our wonderful sponsor, Data Robotics makes a product called Drobo, and every single one of us is feeling Drooby. We love the Drobo. It's an intelligent, automated storage device. Now, I, I want to get Ron in here to tell us one thing about the Drobo that most people don't understand. I, I've had guys say to me, Ron, that the Drobo, well, you're paying you know, 500 bucks for a thing to put some disk drives in. That's not true at all. There's a computer in there. Tell them about
2: it. I, I think it's like a old Linux boot process you go through. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, you know you're paying for this rocket science stuff of uh, you yank a drive out and, and it, you know, it heals itself, you shove another drive in. I mean, anybody that's had to sort of administer RAID arrays where it's like you, you know, you, you look in the wrong direction and something goes wrong with them. This is just so dead easy. And like I said, when I got mine, the first thing I did was grab a couple external drives that, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't using as regularly and just ripped them apart and pulled the drives out of that and dropped them in there. So it's really kind of future-proofing your your backup scenario because you don't have to keep. Because I was doing that for you know drives keep getting bigger and bigger and it seems like for the last several years I've been doing this thing where I'd buy a hard drive and I'd load everything up on it and eventually it'd fill up and in the meantime you know new hard drives have gotten so much cheaper that I would have to offload everything from that get a new one and then a stack would be building. So it's just you know so much easier. You just shove a new drive in. and it, it, does all the magic behind the scenes yeah. and there's a real Ruby.
0: there's a real CPU in there because what it really is is a five hundred dollar computer. I mean yeah. that's what yeah. it is. And people are finding out just how powerful that is because now the, the Drobo community is starting to write applications for this, which has got Yeah,
2: many- I have a I- I haven't had a chance to play with that because my, my Drobo's back in, in L.A. and I haven't yeah,
0: been back there since. We're going to have to see after. about getting you another one, man, so we can have you one of these plays. I, I wouldn't complain about okay. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and when you when you get your Drobo, be sure to, to take a look at the Drobo dashboard. That's our tip on Drobo this week. Uh, the Drobo dashboard, if you click that advanced controls tab on the bottom right side, it opens up this whole new world of information. It'll, it'll look at each drive for you and tell you it's healthy, which is not always reassuring. And uh, then there's a tools page where you can do things like put the Drobo into standby if you do need to dismount a disk. You can format it, you can rename it, um, you know, you can check for updates. It's, it's one of my favorite features. Is it'll give you the serial number there. I hate having to turn stuff upside down and look at the black on black type to figure out what the serial number is for my insurance company. So um, it's it's just very very cool. There's a help function there. So check that out. Drobo has been a good friend of the show. We really appreciate him and want to point out that um, I personally. Uh, well, as was Alex, uh, we were involved with Drobo before they were sponsors of the show. We were buying their their stuff and using their stuff before we got them on the show. So we we wouldn't recommend them if we didn't trust them. My entire future is in their hands because <laughs> my retirement is going to be these 500,000 images I got selling them into licensing and stock, and uh, I've got them trusted to the Drobo. So if you'd like to get $25 off your next Drobo, all you got to do is run over to drobo.com/twip, slash T-W-I-P, and you get 25 bucks off a USB or a FireWire Drobo while supplies last. Just for Twip listeners, and we thank them for their support. Aaron, you've done a wonderful job of getting some questions ready for us, and um, you know, let's. Hey Scott, before we before we do questions, can I ask you a question? You, you can.
2: I I heard on MacBreak you said that uh, a lens baby had shown up at your doorstep. A
0: lens baby composer. It was just during the show. Have, had a, yeah,
2: had you had a chance to play with that yet or not? I did.
0: In fact, I recently got a commercial job that involved doing a glamour shoot, and I was forced to point at it a naked woman.
2: <laughs> Aww. <laughs> I have such sympathy for that.
0: Yeah, I can't show those photos on TWIP, unfortunately. They don't meet our family-friendly policy. But I can tell you that the Lens Baby was very cool. And I am writing a separate review of it. And um, we'll have that up on the blog Good. soon.
1: So my question Good. is, where were the focus spots we went with the Lens Baby? Uh, I'll, the leave, I'll leave
0: you that to guess. <laughs> you can guess. Um, now it wasn't smut. It was, you know, it was glamour. So. So it it was was relatively, you know, relatively clean compared to what you see on the web, let's put it like that. (laughs) But nevertheless, fun for me, and I got paid for it to boot. Let's move into the questions. We have a question about using manual focus lenses on DSLRs from Jack Label. Here comes the question. Hello, do you guys know if using old manual focus lenses is the same thing as using digital lenses when it comes to focusing? I mean, is there any difference in on focusing distances using the scales written on the lenses. Um, as far as I would know, there'd be no difference. Anybody else have a different opinion? I would agree mm-hmm. with that. Yep. Yeah, yep. The, the one Simple. thing that's different is, there. you know, you, if you do have the focus distance scale, that's a luxury these days.
1: Yeah, that's <clears> absolutely true. true.
0: I used to rely on those scales to do what we call hyperfocal distance measurements, and you, you can't do that anymore because it's not there.
1: Yeah, you don't have the reference points good. anymore on the average lens, yeah. absolutely. I, I hate
0: that. Um, I just bought an old 50mm, well not an old, but the, not, not the new version of the Nikon fifty one point four because it's got some of those lens markings and I want to do some playing around with that.
1: That leads me to a question for you, Scott. Do you, um, do you have a preference as far as focusing screens inside your bodies? I mean, do you like split focusers? or?
0: Nah, I just, I just go with the one that comes. In the old days, I used to buy the ones where they would etch the grid lines on it for you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But now, since I'm shooting Nikon, I just push a button to get that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so cool to see it excuse me anyway well i hope that answers your question jack we we all agree it's just shoot as normal shouldn't be any difference focusing is focusing now if your eyes are as bad as mine your your ability to focus well might be a question but anyway
2: (laughs) i I am kind of surprised that the you know these most of the newer high-end lenses have the information for what distance they're focusing at you can kind of get that information out of it and uh, i'm surprised you don't just see that as a piece of feedback inside of the viewfinder or something just to know what it is and you know and, and then if you had that you could sort of compute hyperfocal from it too or even have that built into the camera right just just yeah, it ends, in
1: up in the, ends up in the exif metadata but uh you know it's a little late for for being able to use it on the scene so
0: yeah Alright, well let's move on We have a question about going from Aperture to Photoshop and retaining data This is from Paul Evans Paul writes, I've recently come over from The dark side and bought an iMac Let's have a moment of applause (laughs) My problem is that I use a PC at work And we use Photoshop 7 Oh my god, now isn't this typical of most companies They use Photoshop 7 (laughs) And of course they're using a PC Because you wouldn't want to use anything newer Than Photoshop 7 Yeah. Wow. Um, We haven't decided to upgrade yet. No kidding. Granted, I only use it to automate batch assignments of file serial numbers, create file data with photo captions, adjust the levels and photo size. I just had a trial of Aperture and I can't afford the new Photoshop. Will the data I put on a photo in Aperture translate to Photoshop? And is there a whole lot of difference between the two? Now, this last... This last sentence is a little confusing <laughs> to me. Will the data I put on a photo in Aperture translate to Photoshop? How would you all interpret that question?
1: I'm going to go with assuming he's referring to the sidecar data yes. in that case. Caption data, other you know, metadata that he's added in Aperture. And to be honest with you, to count back to Photoshop 7, I'm going to have to think about the generations when we're at CS4 now. <laughs> I have and, no, I uh, can't remember anything 1. about it. <laughs> This is this is five revisions back if my math is right. Yeah, because uh, and yeah, so we're at
0: really, Photoshop 11 right now.
1: Yeah, technically we're at 11. So yeah, I wish Fred were here today. Yeah, because um, we have to think about whether the XMPs, uh, the sidecar data, is uh, where that manifested itself in the Photoshop line. Do you remember on?
2: No, I don't either. I, I, yeah, I, This is a little bit too much archaeology for me. I think we're going <laughs> to oh, yes. have to hunt on this one and tell him to, to get a buddy to send him some current stuff out of Aperture and see if it works. Yeah, I can, we I can only
0: tell you that, that if, you, if you import a photograph into Photoshop from Aperture now using the most current versions, then all the data makes the trip and back if you round trip it to Aperture. Mm-hmm. And then the question, is there a whole lot of difference between the two? If that question relates to, is there a lot of difference between Aperture and Photoshop, you betcha.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering if you understand exactly what the two products are, because they're yeah. extremely different.
0: Yeah, Photoshop is a pixel editor, and Aperture is more or less a, a you know place to collect your photos, to rate them, to store them, to catalog them, um, and share them. It's, it's really... Closer to bridge in its functionality than it would be, you know, the pixel editor or Photoshop.
1: Based on the, the operations he says he's using seven for, I mean, if it's a cost factor, I would almost recommend even grabbing Photoshop Elements for the time being you know as an as a less expensive alternative cuz he's going to retain all that functionality but would certainly get you know up to date in terms of uh handling of the uh the sidecar data.
0: Yeah, or what we should do is find out where he works and start a start a pledge drive to help him buy a Mac for the, the office cuz that's what they need <laughs> to solve the problems. Okay, let's uh, move on to the next questions. Um <laughs> let's see. Does Canon is the question about Canon having an equivalent to the Nikon Creative Lighting System. Jez Kerwin. Hey there, trippers. Does Canon have something that is similar to the Nikon Creative Lighting System? I am a Canon shooter and find the concept interesting, but don't know if Canon has their own. I have no idea, so I'm going to see if Ron knows. I
1: have no idea, so I'm going to see if Aaron knows. (laughs) my turn to pass that one on I, okay i'm regret we've putting been, the question in been, here this week
0: listen we've been stumped and that's i'm glad you put this question in here because if we don't know the answer chances are somebody in our audience does um in fact they there are people that have the kind of free time that they are able to sit and parse every word we say and transcript it and decide whether or not we were right or wrong about something so oh
2: yeah if you if you go to twipphoto.com after this uh, P- goes up. There will be somebody who will have posted in great detail, yeah. telling us how stupid we are.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take the bullet for this one because it's actually my job to research this before I put it in here. So no, I just kind of toss the question. in. It's okay, so. you know.
0: I, I shot Canon for a, um you know a long time. And as far as I know, and I haven't shot Nikon very long, and since I got a D3, I don't
2: need a flash.
0: <laughs> so uh, <laughs> <it's>, uh, <laughs> I shot I shot this entire glamour shoot at ISO 1600 the other day, oh, and and it was just like shooting at ISO 200. Is I couldn't believe it. Anyway, um, huh. the um, the Canon's speed lights are quite good, and. Um, you know, the, the most recent versions, iterations of them do allow things like, you know, having a, one flash trip another as a slave, and you can set ratios. There's a lot you can do with the canon flashes. So, I'm sure somebody in our audience will know the answer to this question, and it is my request here, right this moment, that somebody would leave a answer to this question in the comments. And if you can, please, uh, you know, link to us wherever it is that, uh, you know, you find the answer. Let's, uh, let's get in another question. Uh, this is from somebody who wants strobe suggestions for getting into portrait work. Hamish Carpenter writes, Hi, Scott, I have a Rebel XTI and I'm in the market for a set of strobe lights, two or three, possibly in a kit. I am not looking for a high-end pricey set, just something to practice portrait photography in my basement with family members to familiarize myself with the lighting effects. Could you make some suggestions? Well, um, you know, if you just want to practice in your... Basement, something as simple as a 580 flash would be a good start. You can even go I would to, recommend a couple, yeah, a couple mm-hmm. of those or even the 430 and a 580 combined. If you get the STE2 wireless controller, then you don't have to have a bunch of wires behind them. Um, Alien Bees is another popular entry point. Calumet has some surprisingly mm-hmm. affordable kits that are really quite good uh, that you might want to look at. And they have the nice thing about dealing with Calumet is they have at every Calumet store they actually have the stuff there and typically well, they have a guy that knows how to use it so you can find some kits there but alien bees is certainly very affordable and very popular with people I definitely wouldn't start with more than two lights if you're just getting started you don't you know because you don't want to invest in, in a bunch of inexpensive lights and then if you just takes hold and you like doing it you decide you need to upgrade to something like Ellencrom you'll have a bunch of stuff you can't use
2: you know yeah don't don't Obsessed with having a whole lot of lights because what you want to do is also learn how to use bounce materials and you know, having umbrellas and that sort of thing. Because uh, that's really where you get your more interesting lighting, anyway, is sort of getting creative with uh, you know, redirected light, bounce light, and that kind of stuff. Yeah,
0: when, if you if you've got to have strobes, something like a, f- a flash from Can or Alien Bees or the Calumet's a good point, but you know, if you really just want to get started. You can go to any Home Depot or Lowe's and get yourself some big shop lights for ten, fifteen bucks. That's you're actually going to buy a reflector that you screw in a, um, a bulb to, and you can buy some daylight balance bulbs for them. And you know you got a thirty, forty dollar solution with a couple of big white cards. You, you can ac- accomplish some pretty amazing studio lighting for under a hundred dollars. So you might want to actually start there. Now, if you do need a strobe, that won't work because that'll give you continuous lighting. And in that case, I would I would investigate some of these other alternatives. Now, Aaron, you have a you have an answer to our other yeah. question.
1: Um, I'm gonna kind of tie back to the one that we had a moment ago in, in the process answering this as well because I did a couple little lookups while we were talking. Um, First off, uh, Scott's absolutely right that, I mean, start with the basic lighting like that and start getting a a good sense of lighting and lighting techniques and concepts. If you are wanting to move into strobes, I mean, as we mentioned, the Alien Bees are are very popular kits uh, that a lot of people start out with. But I would really tend to encourage you as a Canon shooter, too, to look at getting a 580EX2 or a 430 or a combination therein because those allow for a master and slaves so you can have uh, you know you could, if you buy two of them you're, you're in great shape you could add a third and a fourth and so on later uh, you can get attachments to put umbrellas on them and in particular those 580 EX2s are really powerful uh, little uh, speed lights and they rival in a lot of cases some uh, some pretty hefty strobes because I've, I've got some large strobes that I don't use nearly as often now since I've started using 580s and the other benefit to it is it's a very very lightweight kit so you could do some great work in a home studio but you can also pack it stuff up in a pretty small bag, believe it or not, and haul it with you if you want to start doing, you know, lighting and shooting on site for portrait work or other things like that. So, and the STE2 that we mentioned, we'll put it in the in the show notes, is just a little wireless transmitter. It's essentially the brains of the operation without the flash. And by having one of those, you could invest in two flashes, and put the STE2 on the camera, and keep the flashes off the camera. Or you can use the 580 as the master and place the STE2, and then you'll need one or two other flashes off the camera. But the way I wanted to tie this back to that Nikon creative lighting system, I did a quick look up, and I think that's actually just Nikon's terminology for what Canon refers to as ETTL, which oh, okay. is the communication that they have between their flashes. And, and that falls right into what I was just describing with these 580s and 430s and STE2s. What happens is the flash that's on the camera. Um, actually fires twice. Um, They do a very, very rapid flash. It looks like one flash to the eye, but what it's doing is it's lighting the scene, measuring the impact of that flash on the scene, and then making a decision as to whether it needs to ramp that up or ramp that down, and how much it needs to ask of the other flashes that it's talking to. So that when you take the picture, that second flash uh, is the one that actually illuminates the scene with a proper balance between the front flash and the back flash, or you know whichever ones you want to use. Uh, And the other uh, thing i would point you toward is to start checking out the strobist blog um because that is definitely the home of, of flash knowledge especially when it comes to uh to these smaller speed lights the nikons and the Canons, like the 580s and the sb 900s i've never seen a site better than that in terms of explaining the techniques behind the flash creative ways to use them i think that's strobist.blogspot.com and we'll put it in the show notes okay so i hope that covers a little of the last two questions.
0: <laughs> All right. Um... Going to do one more question. Um, This is from Philip Guyton. Hey, I was wondering with these new SLRs with video built in, how does a clip of an HD video stack up to a still shot? I was thinking of using one to capture a spark or static or something fast like a lightning bolt. Would that work well? To just film and then ex- to film it and extract it from the movie, Ron. I think he wants to just take a still from a movie, and he wants to know how that quality would compare if he had just shot the still. What is your opinion?
2: Yeah, it's not. It's not really going to be the same thing. I mean, first of all, you're you're working at a lower resolution, so you know you're shooting HD. You're only like nineteen twenty by ten eighty, as opposed to you know four K kind of resolution on most of these higher end or near decent. Consumer uh, cameras, but the, the other thing too is when you're shooting video, it's sort of it's doing a lot of compression on it to get the data rate up. So it's not a lot of times it's not taking a it's not storing it as a single as a series of single frames so much as it's storing it as a, a key frame and then kind of a delta and offset from that. So you get artifacts from that. So I just don't think it's going to look great. Um, and and you know, if you're shooting something like lightning, the better way to do it anyway is to kind of put it up. Um, and just kind of turn on a long shutter, because that lightning you don't really want to capture a super short thing. What you want to do is get the uh, a duration shot, which will light up the sky more. You'll, your foreground will get a little bit of illumination. You'll see all the nice tendrils in the lightning. So I don't. I, don't I, I think you need to play with shooting some lightning. You'll kind of see that the you can make much better pictures doing something that's explicitly trying to capture a still of lightning.
1: I think long exposure is absolutely the way to go. I agree with you for, for quick events like that, um, both for the quality reasons you mentioned of trying to pull a still out of uh, video, which usually looked pretty horrible, actually. Uh, but, and I only mention this, too, because uh, a couple of months ago, I was experimenting with a, one of the, the Casio that we bought at the college that does the high-speed photography up to 1,200 frames a second. And I was amazed, even at 1,200 frames per second, some of the events I could not actually capture. Uh, in the process I mean a a lot of things I did things like smashing Christmas balls and all kinds of stuff like that and and those were pretty amazing to watch and at six or twelve hundred frames per second but uh, we did some exploding firecrackers And there's almost no breakdown there at all. I mean, it's still an instantaneous thing that takes place where you see the the results and, you know, lighting it beforehand. But you see almost none of the actual explosion, more than maybe two frames across the whole thing. So I think if you want to stop something like a a spark or a lightning bolt, like you said, it's going to have to be a long exposure. And you'll get a higher resolution in the process.
0: Okay, there you go. By the way, that's the kind of question that we're going to start getting into over on my new blog, ConsumerVideoTips.com. Because this unbelievable, uh, you know, thing where we've got, we've just got this this yeah. migration between the stills and the videos going on that I just think we can't really, you know, think we can't ignore it anymore. So we're going to be talking about that at consumervideotips.com just to let you know. I'd like to uh, mention also that I was supposed to get a review of my D90 up on the blog this week. Ain't going to happen, and here's why. I have a good reason. I actually got most of the review done, but I realized that the only sample photos I have are, again, from that that particular shoot I did this week with the uh, Glamour model. And unfortunately, those aren't photographs that I would, as the editor of the blog, allow. So... Uh, with that in mind uh, that's going to be a little bit delayed but I will try to get it up there as soon as I possibly can and I'm leaving on my trip for Bosque uh, the the two days before you actually hear this show I'll be trying to do some stuff on the trip and make that um, available in the form of uh, blogs etc. you know later on so uh, you want to do a tip a tip of the week uh, do you want to do one Ron or should I? Go ahead. Okay. Here is my tip. My tip is, and it corresponds to a blog post that I have already got up, uh, know your rights when it comes to copyrights. I've been doing some surveys lately, and I'm kind of shocked to realize that most photographers simply have no clue what their rights are when it comes to copyright. I've heard many an urban myth you know, espoused by people. I've heard a lot of misinformation, disinformation, and outright falsehood when I ask people about their copyrights. You know, the bottom line is, when you make a photograph, you have a copyright to it, and it's up to you to decide whether or not you want to protect it, defend it, register it. But uh, some of the things I see on the Internet about copyright are just simply not true. And the particularly most egregious one is that anytime you put a photograph on the internet anybody else can use it that's just not true you're not giving up your copyright if you post an image online now you might be inviting theft but you're not giving up copyright those are two different things thieves can be prosecuted so know your rights when it comes to copyright and if you know what those rights really are and you make a conscious decision not to pursue them that's up to you But I do urge you to understand and learn what those rights may be, so that you can make an informed choice as to whether or not you want to give them up. And you can find out about that at tripphoto.com, and we have a link uh, in my copyright post to a very, very well done how-to course almost in copyright for photographers. It's absolutely free of charge that I want you to investigate, so that's my tip. Any final thoughts from you, Ron, before we sign off?
2: Uh, no, I have no more knowledge to impart
0: today. Okay, we used you all up. <laughs>
2: <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Aaron, thanks for uh, coming from behind the scenes and helping out today since we were short-staffed. Uh, any final sure. thoughts from you?
1: Just uh, wishing everybody a happy Thanksgiving <laughs> next week.
0: That's right. And I will be on Thanksgiving Day standing on the flight line at Bosque del shooting the fly out. It's my favorite day to shoot. And then we all have a big Thanksgiving dinner later on the day, all the all the wildlife photographers from around the country that come there. So that's where I'll be. Hope everyone has a good one. And for uh, those of you who don't celebrate Thanksgiving but listen to us around the world, If you have some similar holiday, we wish you well for that as well. Uh, Next week, uh, we do hope to have Alex back. He'll be coming in from Japan. I'll be coming in from New Mexico. And who knows who else will be here or what we'll be doing, but we're hoping to have the other Greg Downing. And if that doesn't confuse you, I don't know what will. So that's it for this show. Ron Brinkman with two Ns on Twitter. And uh, where else do you want people to find you, Ron?
2: Uh, DigitalComposting.com is my blog. There's new stuff up on there fairly regularly.
0: Aaron, how about you?
2: Uh, halfpress.com would be my blog, and uh,
1: on Twitter is Halfpress as well.
0: And you can follow me on the Twitter. It's got born. Until next week, it's time to put the lens cap right back on.